I'm walking through the corridors of the old arts building here at the University of Melbourne. On the walls beside me are neatly spaced picture frames containing reprints from the university's massive art collections. There's ancient maps, watercolours from the early days of Melbourne, even sketches from artists aboard the First Fleet. I've had dozens of classes in this building, but I've never stopped to discover the names behind these pictures. Charles, Johann, Giovanni, there are plenty of men here, and almost no women. The name John appears more than any female artist. It's almost like they don't exist. And it isn't just the University of Melbourne where this is the case. Only one-third of artworks in state museums and galleries are by women and non-binary artists. I'm Angus Thompson, and this is Uncurated, a podcast from the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne. Each episode, we take one object from the university's collections and look at the forgotten stories behind them. This week, 100 Women's Faces and the Fight for Equality in Australia's Museums and Galleries. Reporter Emin Chung dives into the university's collections and asks, where are all the women? One hundred sides of eyes, and they are all still around me. Some are smiling, some have a more serious, sorrowful look. Some are beautiful and exotic. Others wear dark, mysterious expressions. But they all share two things in common. They are all women, and they are all nameless. Uh, yeah, so um, even with come to Arts West and we've just come up the stairs and we're confronted by this quite extraordinary large work of a hundred female faces staring directly at us. Samantha Conte is a senior creator of collections at the University of Melbourne. She's introducing me to a huge reproduction of Julie Rapp's Transpositions. It's made up of 100 women's faces printed on wood. The faces are from famous works of art, mostly European. All pieces together so you feel as if 100 eyes are watching you. I'm very familiar with the artists that created or painted these works. They're all male artists, often very well-known artists such as um, Botticelli, Vermeer, Klimf, uh, artists that we would know through art history studies and through general knowledge, but the women are anonymous. I need to find out who are these women and how did they end up at the University of Melbourne. But the artist isn't going to make it easy for me. No, I never answer that question because that would take the fun out of it <laughs> for the viewer. <laughs> The story of how these faces came to Melbourne starts in Paris, 1986. On a sunny day, the young Julie is wandering the city's famous museums. She sees the names of famous men. Monet, Cezanne, Matisse. She sees the faces of women. Some wear clothes, some do not. Some have names. Most do not. And the female artist? Well, what female artist? 
when I looked, you know, naively at the history of art, I saw lots and lots and lots of images of women in the pictures, but I didn't find lots and lots and lots of women who'd made the pictures. Julie had already gained a reputation in the feminist art scene in Australia. I was like the provocateur, you know, I'd, I'd, or the trickster that, that, you know, as a woman artist, I'd kind of confronted that history of art. Two years later. Julie was invited into the 1988 Sydney Biennale, but she was eager to jump beyond people's expectations. I felt like, well, I don't want to become the girl artist who jumps into famous paintings all the time. You know, I didn't want to be sort of typecast like that. And so, by you know switching my perspective to looking at all the women in those paintings and only using their portraits, was a kind of way of. Freeing them up from the paintings. I asked Julie why she chose these faces. Well, I chose them so that when you look at that work and you try to remember the male artists and you can't necessarily remember all the male artists, you start looking. And so that is that's the sort of challenge, I guess, that I'm throwing out to the viewer, is to try and find out who are all those women. Julie isn't keen to give away their secrets, though. If you wanted to be a detective about it, <laughs> you could maybe go off and try and. Find out, you know, who all those different women are. Not only what painting they come from, but who are they? What's their names? Those faces are still pieces of the puzzle to me. In search of answers, I turn to their modern equivalents, to Australian women who sit for painters today.、Uh, my my family were always quite casual about nudity, like it was. It was not a fetishized thing, and it wasn't a shameful thing. Alison Mayer is one of those nameless women. For twenty years, she's been a life model. She's not in Julie Rapp's piece, but she's appeared anonymously in so many others. I thought about getting into life modeling probably in about two thousand, and my boyfriend at the time was like, "Oh, who'd want to draw you?"、Um, and then a few years later, I was like, "No, I, I can." Do this. Alison looks amazing to me, with golden hair and cheeks slightly red, from a morning of work in the garden. Sometimes life models are expected to be flawless, but other times it can be fun to challenge these expectations. My favorite noise in an art class is so the oh my god, what have you done to yourself? What? How do I draw this? Shape that you've created, followed by frantic scratching. That is what I aim for in life. Flab Bloom is president of Melbourne's Life Model Society. She's also a performer, a writer, and musician. A job where you get to see for hours sounds pretty good to me, but Flab tells me it's not as easy as that. It's not a super comfortable profession, I have to say.、Um, Holding a pose still, often short poses. You're very active, so you're both still and kind of using a lot of muscle strength and tension to hold that dynamism.、Um, so I find it quite an embodied practice. You are,、um, you're not really able to think of a lot other than stay still. This makes me think about those hundred women sitting at the University of Melbourne. It doesn't take a lot for Alison to imagine what they are feeling. They look tired. They look tired and bored.、Um, and then I look at、um, 
the image of Grand Odalisk. Uh, she's on the extreme left, second from the bottom. I look at that and I think, oh my god, her poor neck. Fleur's eyes are drawn to a woman's face in the bottom left corner. I mean, I'm immediately struck by the fact that our、um, Birth of Venus in the bottom left is、um, the inspiration for our logo,、um, and has been for some time. The, the Birth of Venus is a pose that I pull out every so often,、um, and now that I have long hair, it's really、uh, good fun. These classic portraits are a source of inspiration for Fleur, but she also knows the price many of the women paid.、Um, and the other one is the. It's the Ophelia in the stream, and I think the the woman who posed for that was lying in a bath and got pneumonia.、Um, so you know there are all these stories about models、um, for quote unquote great artists、um, who have suffered. So how have they seen gender roles change since they started modeling? I'm not convinced. No,、that. I I think. I think they're very difficult to、yeah. change. I think the the male gaze、um, and the the female consumable is still really prevalent.、Um, I think there is、uh, particularly an acceptance of female nudity as being consumable and male nudity as being erotic,、uh, as being too much. So I think we get a lot of men who don't think that there's work for men. Um, in this industry, which is simply not true, and I think with with gender roles in the life drawing studio, we do encounter far more women in the life drawing studio as artists. That that is certain. Cisgender men make up the lowest numbers in art schools, but they still get more time in galleries and more pay for their work. So that brings me to the question. Why is there such a massive gender gap in Australian galleries and museums? The artist Julie Rapp is not an academic and educator at Sydney University. Most of her students are women. In fact, 71% of fine arts students in Australia are female, according to the 2019 Contest report. And yet, less than a third of works in state-owned collections are by women and non-binary people. Why this discrepancy? Well, there you go. That's the question of the moment. Recently, the National Gallery of Australia has tried to address this with a show called "Know My Name." The initiative highlights the gallery's collection of female artists and celebrates their contribution to Australian cultural life. Julie says it's a good start. But it's about more than just buying women's work. So you know, I I fit now the idea of women's work within that kind of cosmos of thinking. We should be seeing all sorts of different representations、um, of the way people think and respond to the world. But you know, just particularly in relation to women, I think women do bring a different sort of take. And it's not about. I think it's important to think about that not. As a difference per se, but just as a contribution to extending the range of what we see in a kind of an imaginative sense. That brings me back to the University of Melbourne, now home to one of Julie's most famous works. Samantha Conte, the curator of collections at the university, tells me the collection appears to follow this trend: pale and male. We don't have the actual breakdown, so I can sort of look at it on. Uh, 
look at it and say we definitely don't have as many women artists represented in the in the collection, but I don't have the figures yet. Perhaps that makes Julie Rapp's work as relevant now as it was thirteen years ago. I think that a lot of things haven't haven't moved on since Julie made. This particular work, I think the conversation is happening a lot more within the、um, university context and the and the broader community, but we still don't have things like the university art collection. Representation of women is still a lot lower than men, and that is slowly improving, but is certainly not at the the levels it should be. The first time I saw those 100 faces, I couldn't help seeing them from the male gaze. Beautiful women with exquisite jewelry, innocent cheeks, a perfect smile. Now, when I look at these faces, I see something different. I see the misshapen neck of Grand Obelisk. I see Ophelia lying in the stream, suffering in silence. But I also see women like Alison and Flo and Julie. Who know this history and work every day to subvert it? I can't help but feel encouraged by them, either through their always posing or transposing a hundred faces together. These modern women are continuing to tell women's hidden stories, the stories that only we women can tell. That story was made by Imin Chung and me, Angus Thompson. Next week on our final episode of Uncurated, we set out to replace a hidden note in Australian musical history. This is just about one man, one man with many faces, an eccentric showman, an avid sadomasochist, an obsessive collector, a self-proclaimed fashion designer, and a musical genius. Uncurated is made on the land of the Wurundjeri people by graduate students at the Centre for Advancing Journalism. Our producer is Nell Gerards, and sound design is by Clancy Barlin and Thomas Phillips. Our theme tune is by Ben Salter as part of the Living Instruments Project. And special thanks, as always, to our executive producers Rachel Fountain and Louisa Lim. Thanks also to Ryan Johnson, Ryan Jeffries, and everyone in the museums and collections department. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Angus Thompson. See you next time.